This podcast is made possible by NoCD. NoCD offers effective, affordable, and convenient OCD therapy. NoCD therapists are trained in exposure and response prevention, otherwise known as ERP therapy, which is the gold standard treatment for OCD. With NoCD, you can do virtual, live, face-to-face video sessions with one of their licensed, specialty-trained therapists, and they accept most major insurance plans. To find out more about NoCD, visit NoCD.com to book a free 15-minute call. We're hot. We're fun. We're crying. But we're trying. We've got books. We've got books. Also, we're sad. Sad Sad girls girls who read. read. Hello, sad girls. Hello, sad girlies. How are you? Erin, your tree looks amazing. Thank you. It's seven feet tall because I love Christmas. Is it artificial? I don't know. Is it? (laughs) I love you. I get artificial and I think it saves me so much money. Me too. And people are like, oh, that's expensive, but I've used this for four years. So no, what's expensive is spending $150 a year on a real tree. I think this was like on sale for 150 and I've used it four years. So if you divide that by four, what is that, Allegra? Because you're the mathematician. 35. 37. Very close. 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 I was a mathematician. I was a mathematician back in the day. I loved math too. We talked about that. I think we liked it because like it helped our brain. And I just was good at it. Like history, you could not have fucked me. I know. I I still am like, no, this is so terrible. But I think I asked in therapy the other day, I said, and what did I say? I said, what's the city of Missouri? I said, where's Miss- Wisconsin? And Lori goes, it's a state. <laughs> I said, Uh-oh. wow. You said, well, we learned something new every day. That's what I'm saying, honey. Are you Empty. a sad girl this week? I'm not a sad girl. I'm more like an anxious girl, but like not a bad anxious, you know, and you just like have so much to do and you're just overwhelmed. I feel like that's happening. Like everything is back on the auditions are rolling in and they're not just small auditions like I have like 40 pages and then I just got another one and I'm tweaking out I'm so proud of you and it's a lot and Bear had his first influencer gig on Monday the fact that Keith was there though I have to say Keith just like gave it it was so cute he is an icon I like I honestly, I paid him because he didn't, that was his day off. He did not want to go, but I needed someone to film. So I paid him. That's he's like, cute. He's like, we all, we're going to spend it on the same show. I'm like, it's okay. Like I'm paying you. Let mommy do this. <laughs> Let mommy take care of you. Let mommy take care of you. Um, Yeah. Good things. Anxious girl energy. What about you, Lugs? I'm also fucking anxious and I'm not going to talk about why because I don't want to talk about why, but it's basically like Aaron's version of acting where I don't know how you fucking do this. I've not, I've not, (laughs) I'm in Aaron's era. I've not like slept well for the last two nights anticipating. It's like waiting to find out if you got, let's say your dream job. So Allegra, can I give you some helpful tools? Because I've been doing it for so long and I want to die and it doesn't really get easier until you force yourself to be really disciplined about your expectations. Like you're not allowed to have any expectations. This isn't about you. You will get what you want to get if you keep at it, but this isn't about you. There's so many other factors that go into it. 
you know? Yeah. A thousand percent. They don't know your work yet. Like it could be a man who you look like his ex. Like you never fucking know who these people on the other side are and why. So you cannot take it personally. You can't. No, I know. So you're an anxious girly this week because Allegra's trying something new that she's never tried before. And it's scary and it's brave and cool. And we love it. Go Allegra. Go team. Go team sad girls. Cause yeah, you gotta be nicer to yourself. But here's the thing. I'm being really nice to myself. I'm embarrassed that that person wouldn't see my value enough to offer, to offer more. That's it. Cause I know my fucking value. That's it. I know what I bring to the table. I'm going to have a New York times bestseller. I'm not saying like, I just know that that's going to happen. Of course. And you're going to offer that. It's but more along of like the a way. Like you're still so young. Like you're not even thir- like you're a fetus like along the way you're gonna have people that piss you off and that you're offended by but then you're gonna look back in a few years and be like remember it's that true harry idiot? potter like got 30 fucking no it- harry potter got like hundreds okay so this week we had the great believers which i freaking love how do you feel I love and it's so much i'm sorry but it's way better written than i have some questions I'm like, is this the same author? Yeah, she is killing it. It's giving me a little life vibe. So anything a little life, Allegra and You're going to die. My skin. trauma therapist saw a little life on my bookshelf and said, did you read that? She said, please don't. She said, honey, we're barely keeping you hanging on by a thread. No, she didn't say that. She said, put the book down. So The Great Believers, Rebecca Mackay, this book was the winner of the Carnegie Medal. And also shortlisted for the National Book Award. I'm not sure what that is, but that sounds legit. The back says, set in Chicago in 1984 and Paris in 2015, The Great Believers is a story of how love can both rescue and destroy us. A thrilling, addictive novel full of characters whom the reader comes to know as friends, colleagues, and lovers. So... This episode is part one. We read the first half of The Great Believers. Apparently, there's two different versions allegra and i had different versions so we're trying to match up where we were i read to 268 and she read to 170 uh no i'm at 230 230 so basically sad girls if you have the version with the men on the front that's around halfway is 268 and if you have the version with like pretty colors like allegra has then that's 230 okay so basically this book is set like it says in the 1980s and then in Paris in 2015. And in the 1980s, it centers around the AIDS HIV epidemic. So we have some AIDS stats because Allegra and I, at least I didn't know these stats. And I think it's really important before reading this or while reading this to educate yourself. So HIV, the virus that causes AIDS, acquired immunodeficiency syndrome is one of the world's most serious health and development challenges Approximately 39 million people are currently living with HIV, and tens of millions of people have died of AIDS-related causes since the beginning of the epidemic. People living with HIV or at risk for HIV infection do not have access to prevention, treatment, and care. Many people, and there's still no cure. What were, like, when you started reading this, did you know how bad it was? Well, what I know is that the government didn't, I mean, which is so fucked up, but because it was still so like people still stigmatized gay people so much the government did basically next to nothing during the aids epidemic Ugh. and 
thousands of people died in the stats that I have. So, so this was in the 1980s, this book, and it says in the U.S., in 1988, there were 32,399 AIDS cases reported. That's just ones that were reported. And at least 10,911 include people who died of AIDS in the U.S. in 1988. So over 10,000 people were dying and the government basically did nothing. Nothing. And also not just the government, but the people were ignoring everything oh, yeah. that was happening. What really stood out to me was on page 71, Yale on the train, he was on the train, he heard these kids making really vulgar jokes about gay people and AIDS. And he said he was happier that they were just acknowledging it, even if it was cruel, because before he felt like he was in an alternate universe. So Ella Graves, I'm going to ask you as a therapist, like, what does this do to a human when everyone like the world and the government is saying, yeah, that doesn't exist. Like, that's not real. Like AIDS isn't real? Like AIDS isn't real. Like it's basically like the government and the world was gaslighting them into believing like the disease wasn't real. Not only that it wasn't real, but then like people would literally call it the gay disease. And because gay people were so stigmatized back in 1980, which is wild, that was like 43 years ago, nobody wanted to help gay folks. It was so messed up. But what really made me sad is Yale being like, I'd rather them make fun of us and call it this disease because then they're acknowledging it exists. So it's like you lose. Isn't that so fucked up? You lose, period. Like if they acknowledge it, they're just going to make fun of you and like ridicule. It it was I can't believe it happened. I can't believe the way people treated gay. Like it was horrendous. It's so tragic to go through that kind of trauma, like just to be gay. I mean, didn't Teddy get beat up on campus? He got punched in the face. And then not only did he said that he was okay with being punched in the face, basically. He's like, well, I'm alive. And like to watch a whole friend group just die. Okay. That Aaron. So I, my friend, Ethan, shout out to Ethan. I'll have to send this episode to him, but he's a gay man. And he has this like huge gay circle in New York. And I told him I was reading this book and he said, Allegra, he said, I can't read about that. He said to think about my whole friend group right now dying Mm. is so beyond fucking horrific. You have to watch people who you love die. And then it's so, it was so stigmatized. People thought that you could get it by sharing a drink with someone. And that's not how it's passed on. And people didn't care to educate themselves. Like when they went over to Frank's and he's like, you can't use my bathroom. My kids use that bathroom. What? What? So I'm trying to like imagine what these these a lot of the people being assholes were straight white men. I'm trying to. Oh, and they were also fucking gay themselves. Let's. Yes. Come on. Come the fuck on. All these men married to women back then. I'm like, you're gay. And then you're projecting. But they like have proof. That it doesn't spread by that. So why were people so vicious? They, it's it's like the gay scare, you know, where people think that you can catch gayness and it, how fucking ignorant and bigoted people were. And you know who I awful. love? I have to shout out his Instagram. I sent you a couple of things yesterday. So Matt Bernstein posts really fantastic things about Oh, I I follow AIDS. So he says, he's answering, so many people say, well, why is everyone gay all of a sudden? We're the older gay people. It's just this generation. And 
he's like, uh, bitch, the government let them die. That's why yeah. they're not yeah. fucking alive. And I think that that is so, so, so important. And then he, this was so, so basically it says, I'm going to quote from his thing. Shortly after the death of his lover, Stephen Irabino from AIDS, artist John learned that Stephen's family had completely cleared out his apartment in an attempt to eradicate his memory. All that remained was an electric box fan, which John encased in plexiglass entitled Feel It, Motherfuckers. The wind from the fan represents Stephen's breath, allowing John to create internal life for his dead lover. Oh my gosh, it's giving fucking Nico. When Nico died, the family totally disowned him and then decides to come in three days before his death. And take his shit. That's exactly it. And then take all of his shit. You kicked him out. You haven't been part of his life. And now you're dictating who can and cannot come to the funeral. And you're not even going to let his lover. I will say both of his parents are at fault. But the way that his dad, straight white man, started it and the mom just sat there like she didn't say anything. She didn't stop it from happening. But the dad was the catalyst in them kicking him out. Yeah. Yeah. And Fiona, oh my God. So Fiona and Nico's I love sister Fiona. gets on the train in fifth grade and starts bringing Nico things. What a fucking angel. I love her. And so this book goes back from the 80s to 2015 where Fiona, Nico's sister, is looking for her daughter who has apparently joined a cult in Paris. And it's so I'm funny, Rebecca, because I just watched, have you watched Twin Flames? No, I- but so many people are saying that it will fuck me up. I don't think it'll fuck you In up. In the way that I'll go down the rabbit hole. Yeah, it's wild. I just finished it and it's about a cult. I won't like give anything away, but there are moms that gather that are trying to figure out how to get their kids out of this cult. And this reminded me of it. Like Fiona is a, like, you feel so lost. You feel like your child was like stolen from you and brain. And you know what, what I will say, I don't know anyone personally, but there was a woman in my writing class who was in a religious cult. And I remember she wrote a piece about it and she workshopped it in our class. And when she wrote about it, she said something like so many people ask me all the time, how could such a smart person get involved with a cult? And it's just not like that. You are literally under so much manipulation. And this person who was writing it, like, didn't have close family. And it becomes, I think that what the author said, when you don't have family, a cult becomes more appealing to you. And they prey on your vulnerabilities. Like, I was at Yoga to the People. Do you know what that was? No, I'm scared. It was a place that I trained. I got my certification to become a yoga teacher like seven, eight years ago. And I taught there for five, six years. I practiced there after I stopped teaching, but it began to get really weird at the end. And they would do things that weren't normal. I w- We could have a whole episode about this. Basically, it came out that they were basically a cult and the head of the whole program i allegedly like is in a lot of trouble it's wild what they do because there was a day where we all gathered around and we had to say our deepest like most vulnerable secret and then now they have that on you so like they use that to manipulate you it's really you're right the secret is okay if i have their deepest darkest secret then i can manipulate them there we go there you go and they would do it to people who were young right out of college like me like like claire in the book claire is fiona's daughter moves to colorado joins this cult I have to say, and I want to ask you, in terms of the pacing, the moving back and forth from the 80s to the 2000s, it was a little bit hard for me at first. I don't know how you felt about it, but at first, 
something about the pacing was making it a little bit hard for me to focus. I don't know if you felt that way. I think for both of us, it takes us like a hundred pages to get into like the tone and the flow of a book. Yes. And at first it's like disorienting because you're like, okay, what, who's this character? There's like 10 guys. There were 40 like, characters all of a sudden character? at first. It was like but Teddy, I feel like Julian, Richard. The more you keep going, now I'm like in the world and I just want to like sit down and read and these characters are like my family and I love them. Right. So, okay. If we're looking at the beginning, what did you think happened when Yale woke up at the celebration, I guess, of life and everybody was gone? Dude, I don't know. I was so confused. I was like, was there a raid? Like, is he dreaming? Is this real? What did you think? I thought the author was getting into some kind of like mystery, magical Uh, world. And I was like, please tell me we're not doing like sci-fi right now. Please tell me we're not doing sci-fi right now. But how disorienting. It's like when you go to sleep, when it's light, you wake up, it's dark. And you're like, "Eh." imagine going to sleep. Everyone's there. And then they're all gone. No, that would I would feel like I was in an alternate universe. Yeah. In the Twilight Zone. It's wild. So the whole time. And I wanted to talk to you about this. The whole time Charlie is grilling Yale. Did you hook up with this person? Did you hook up with this person making Yale feel guilty? I will say, Allegra. When I was in a relationship and the person was cheating on me, all they did was come at me. Did you do this? Were you flirting with this person? They're like projecting their guilt onto you. Did you see that coming? Okay, so this is wild. So for everyone who hasn't read it, Charlie and Yale are dating. Charlie and Yale take the test and they don't have it. And they're celebrating as much as they can because, I mean, there's nothing to celebrate at this point. All their friends are dying. But Charlie is so insecure and at first I thought you know it was a it was a bit much but I also thought the way that Yale handled it being there for Charlie I thought it was beautiful at first not beautiful like it it was like I said I'm not articulating this well it was a bit much but the two of them I could tell were trying to make the relationship work for each other and I think Yale was the reassuring presence when Charlie was very anxiously attached I thought it was more anxious attachment. I did not fucking see this coming. I didn't either. And I didn't even. Okay. So basically what happens, this is a spoiler alert, but we hope that y'all have read it. Yeah. We end up finding out that at this reception for Nico, Julian and Charlie have sex. And then throughout the next 200 pages, Charlie is like you said, coming at Yale about cheating. You did this with Teddy and you did this with that person. Meanwhile, we come to find out that Charlie had sex with Julian, who is now HIV positive, making Charlie HIV positive. Charlie then exposed Yale to it. The thing is, like, Charlie has the audacity to be like, well, you pushed me to do it because you weren't there. You went upstairs and I thought you were with someone else. So then I got drunk and hooked up with him. I'm like, bro. No, it there's so much projection, like you said. I think that's exactly what it is. You're doing something really bad and it's on your mind all the time. So then you project that onto someone else. Well, if I'm capable of this and I'm if I'm doing this, they must be. And then he gets so much shit, even from his friends. Teddy said something along the lines of, Your lover of five years is dying and you're not. Hold gonna- on, I don't know if I've got to that part. I, I got to the chapter that concluded with them talking, but no one has said anything. Okay. But yeah. even Charlie doesn't apologize, is just, I'm dying. 
his mom's it's, like, be nice to him. It could make him sicker if you Teresa, him be pissing me the fuck off. If no, be nice. I'm sorry. I understand it's horrific. I want to say it's it's horrific to make a mistake and mm-hmm. have to essentially to die because of it. God. And no, one fucking mistake, one mistake. It's so beyond awful. And do you believe it was once or do you think he's just saying that? I do believe it was once. I okay. do believe as of now. Now that could change. I think Charlie is one of these people that we just don't know. He's giving living a devil life to me oh. at this point. But I don't have a ton of empathy for him i'm with yale on this one you cheated that's fucked up in and of itself you cheated during a time when you and your partner both knew that you didn't have hiv and you two were monogamous and then instead of not having sex with your partner after you've had sex with someone else that could have hiv you decided to keep having sex with your partner and expose them to hiv i'm sorry that is fucking shitty there's no pass for me there there's no pass and he's also charlie's like the poster child they said of safe sex like he posts about it in his paper about how they all need to be wearing condoms and then he so i didn't understand this he wore a lambskin condom but that doesn't protect you from STDs. it broke i think it broke i think that from what i gathered is lambskin is like a really thin it ended up breaking there's just so much sadness going on because yeah he did make a mistake. You're right. And he did. If he did it once and people do this all the time and it happens on the 30th time they get infected, he got infected on the first. Like that is just the worst. Life is so fucking cruel. Is it not? Yeah. Is it not? And it's crazy. I have so much empathy for Yale. Yale has no family, which we haven't really found out much about. Well, his mom was like an actress. Oh, duh, duh. There's a lot happening in this book. I think I'm just yeah. forgetting. And then Yale is homeless. Okay. But this also brings us to the cheating of. So Fiona, Claire's oh, yeah. mom, cheated on Damien, her husband. And essentially, Fiona says, Well, I think that Claire as an adult should have more empathy for me, that that's just part of being a messy mm-hmm. human. I don't know. What do you think about that? That's loaded. I want to know more about Claire and like what's going on with her. But I do feel like they underestimated how much of a toll their divorce took on her. They're like, why? What's wrong? Like, get over it. Like, it's fine. And she's like, joins a cult. <laughs> so well, right. it clearly wasn't fine. Yeah, maybe they should be checking in a little bit more. Three things I noticed. One is Fiona says, and I could talk to Claire about her perceived trauma. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's giving boomer. And here's the thing. I think especially because older generations didn't talk about or address mental health at all. And they say things like, well, I had it so much worse. You had a great childhood thinking that because perhaps we had a better childhood than they did, that nothing was traumatic. So she says perceived trauma. And that word choice to me, it's like, ooh, I didn't even notice that. I like want to love Fiona because I feel like I love Fiona. I love Fiona. I feel like she's been through so much. She watched her brother and everyone she loved around her die. That had to have taken a toll. Right. But it is crazy because all that shit she experienced, she passed some of it down to her daughter and there's generational trauma because she wasn't healed. I will say I coming from my dad cheated on my mom and that Mm -hmm. really fucked me up. And I, I'm sorry, I still don't get it. Perhaps I'm being too hard. I know that people make mistakes, but to me, it's just 
one of the cruelest things that you could do to break trust in that way, to fuck someone else up, to fuck other people up who are involved. I was the one that found out and had to tell my mom. So then you fuck your kid up. And that just does have a really big impact on children because you're seeing the other parent really upset. You're to me, it's like, do I even know who the fuck you are? You've been going around with so-and-so for how fucking long? And I'm finding Mm. out because I hear you on the phone. You Mm. know, it just, I don't know. I think to say, oh, you should just, you know, when you're older, you get it more. No, I'm sorry. I still don't get it. And I'm older. So I've got to take Claire's side on that too. I just, I still don't get it. The the cheating is like a deal breaker, like a no-go, like bad, bad, bad. But I also can understand if she's at like a low, low place and she said she just wanted to feel something, that yes. was the complete wrong thing to do. But I see that. I get that too. That's what's hard is she was experiencing yeah. postpartum, I think depression. And there was, you know, there was no talk about it at the time. Mm. It sounds like she almost perhaps was trying to fill a hole yeah. with her husband who was a bit older than her. Does that, did you think about that at all? Totally. And it it's weird because I feel like if she had have gotten the proper help for her postpartum, et cetera, they would still be together because they still get along really great. They like talk on the phone about their daughter. They connect about their daughter. That is a healthy way to co-parent when you're not still together. Like yeah. she still asks about his new wife. Like that's Absolutely. giving that's giving growth. That's giving that is, health. That's giving that's giving wealth. That that's is. No, health. you're so right. This podcast is made possible by NoCD. NoCD offers effective, affordable, and convenient OCD therapy. NoCD therapists are trained in exposure and response prevention, otherwise known as ERP therapy, which is the gold standard treatment for OCD. With NoCD, you can do virtual, live, face-to-face video sessions with one of their licensed, specialty-trained therapists, and they accept most major insurance plans. To find out more about NoCD, visit NoCD.com to book a free 15-minute call. Okay, and then let's talk about the artwork. What is, okay, there's a lot. I will say being halfway through a book, I normally have a shit ton of predictions. I have none. I don't know anything. I'm really, the only thing that I can think is that that Novak person is someone really important to this novel. Well, wasn't Novak her Nora's ex-boyfriend? Yes, but she keeps saying, you will put this artwork up, even though and Novak's the nobody. And he keeps being like, it's not good. Bill doesn't like it. Yes. Oh my God. Oh my God. Did Bill, you think, have a relationship with Novak? Because Bill's in the closet. Oh. Wait, but he'd be too He might be too. Young. Okay, also, that that okay, that's what I wanted to talk about with I'm LOLing. That's what I wanted to talk about from that. This is giving Bill. Um, so I need to pull this up because it's the fucking funniest shit ever. So I was born in the wrong generation. Life used to be so much simpler. So it points to the daughter. I'm gay. Points to the little boy. I got polio and died. Points to the little girl. My teacher beats me <laughs> for being left-handed. Points to the dad. I'm also gay. And then points to the mom. My doctor prescribed me meth to lose Wait, weight. Wait, what page was this? It's not. Oh, I was like, oh my God. No, it's it's so, but this is giving Bill. This is giving yes. Bill. Well, nobody was gay 30 years ago. No, Bill was fucking gay. And I'm sorry. I think you know 
And I think his wife knows. What do you think about that? Do you think you would know if your husband, like, would you know she if Keith were gay? She, yeah, she has to know. She literally said you can't have this young, hot man as your man as your assistant. So he took the woman assistant because she knows he would hook up with it. It's really you- predatory, too, in my opinion, because yeah. Bill is, what, 50, 60 and is going after this 23-year-old. 20, yeah. So predatory. It's giving what donnie wants us to watch it's giving i mean not the same i can't wait everyone is telling me to watch that too but you know what i don't like about that is that it feeds that total fucking bigoted misconception that gay men are pedophiles you know Mm -hmm. when it's not pedophilia the dude's 23 it's like any other man going after a young woman yeah but bill has done some shit and are you what makes you want to stay with that man when you're the woman what do you think Aaron? like what's the psychology of that they were like, just find someone nice enough, agreeable enough, who's not going to say anything and not going to ask questions and just going to like, they obviously don't sleep together. I don't really know what they their agreement is. I don't know. And what why does she want that with him? I guess maybe the pressure to be married back then. Yeah. And then you found someone and it was kind of like, okay, I guess we're just going to play house and make this work. And it's been so long that she's like, I don't want to like be alone. Right. Do you understand with the art stuff how valuable these pieces are or is that above your head? No, I mean, I assumed so the donor was going to make two million. So it's obviously more than two million because they went and took the shot. I bet it's going to be like 20 million, all the artwork. So Nico's great aunt has all this artwork that she told Fiona about. Fiona told her, oh, my friend Yale works here. So she hit him up. And they're trying, oh, they just bought all the stuff to put in their institute. That's wild. But they have to get it authenticated. Authenticated. Which is really, it's interesting because I was a publicist for an art gallery. That shit is, if you, all I know, I'm not super into art and I wish I was more into art. But if you find something like that, that's real. I'm talking dollar signs, honey. I'm talking, that is crazy. It would make his career. Yeah. And I didn't know that Keith Haring died of AIDS. Did you know that? No. Crazy. That's insane. What Though, like, Yale had the best day of his life. It was the biggest thing that ever happened for him in business. He was the happiest he's ever been. He gets back from the trip and then finds out all this has happened. And he said none of the work stuff even matters because... Well, he might have HIV. Yeah, he might be dying and his partner betrayed him. And then feels no fucking remorse, clearly. What do you think that's about? Why is Charlie not able to like own up to his shit? I think that probably because he is dying. He says at one point, I'm dead. You know, I think that because he's dying, he is probably really self-absorbed. And then Teresa says him feeling guilty about this is going to make him die sooner. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry, but you did something fucked up. You did something really fucked up accountability accountability is huge and then just killed both of us so yeah and yale doesn't know if he's sick which is so sad i feel like is yale gonna get it what do you think i like don't want him to i don't think yale is i don't think yale is now i don't want to say that but i don't think so but then so many more things make sense looking back okay did you pick up on why when Julian was positive, why Charlie was freaking out. Charlie, yes, yes. Okay, see, I didn't pick that up. You no, 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 thought- sorry, sorry. When it was happening, I didn't. See, I was so neither. confused. I was like, why does he care so much? I, I was like, I thought he fucking hated Julian. Yeah. That was Wait. so, in hindsight, 
Do you think Yale, how old do you think Yale is going to live to? Something really tragic is going to happen, I think. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't know. For some reason, I don't think Yale gets it. Now, I don't know how long he lives, but it's also important to preface. And I think you wrote some of this down in your notes. So HIV is a virus that causes AIDS, acquired Mm -hmm. immunodeficiency syndrome, not everyone who has HIV develops AIDS. Uh-huh. So I think in the book, it's going to depend on if there is, because I know people who are HIV positive who don't have AIDS mm-hmm. and who manage it with medication. And so I think it might depend on, does he get AIDS or does he have HIV and then gets medication? You said many people living with HIV or at risk for HIV infection don't have access to prevention, treatment, and care, and there still is no cure. So you can take medication, I think, to to, manage. Yes, to manage it, but there is not a cure, (sighs) which is just horrific. Do you think there would be a cure by now if this were a disease that predominantly impacted straight people? Yes. It's so fucked up. It's so fucked up. Of course. It's so beyond fucked up. How long did it take them to even make meds for this? So I think it was, I looked this up. It says, well, first of all, AIDS is the last stage of HIV infection. It can take more than 10 years for HIV to show any symptoms or much longer when you have meds. So let's see when, I think it was three years So in early 1985, the CDC developed the nation's first AIDS prevention plan. A federal response was still non-existent. Hmm. And God, and uh, the Reagan administration apparently was really fucked up. Yeah, really. Says the Reagan administration often used rhetoric rhetoric to avoid discussing the complex issues of the epidemic and taking responsibility. I don't know, actually. Oh, yeah. Medication can control HIV. I don't know. This is really good information. But as far as I know, I think maybe 1989 or something like that. So if in the book, this is year, what year is it? Yeah. So I'm guessing it was three to four years, which is, I mean, people were dying left and fucking right. Like, have you read um, Just Kids by Patti Smith? Yes. Fucking love it. And he died it's so beyond sad and also yeah it was just like and not another- only that they were treated like shit in the hospital the the nurse wouldn't even come in to give him the menu you're a nurse and you think that you're gonna pick up yeah. this disease somehow they were treating them like they were monsters it was so and is that and it's so sad because it's not still how gay people are treated yeah i mean i mean yeah i think did the law has the law changed where gay people aren't allowed to donate blood oh that's fucked now i'm gonna look this up fucked up it is 2023 but shit is still not right okay it says did it change this year every donated unit of blood undergoes rigorous testing if the testing passed it's considered safe but in 2020 gay men still unable to donate blood plasma despite new fda rules even in the pandemic when people were dying everywhere and needed blood It says during a blood shortage, donors were being turned away. Well, this is it's so beyond fucked up. Yeah, I just want to know what happens. I love this book and I love the writing and I love the characters. And I'm gonna be sad when it's over. 
this is going to sound really terrible, but I'm going to be excited when it's over. Really? I, no, I love the book. It's so good, but I have so many books that I want to read that yeah. I'm just ready. You know that feeling when you just want to rip into a new one? What is your next book? I got this just for fun. Oh, I want to read that. Yeah. And what's interesting is it's it's not written by Emily. What happened again? A reporter basically wrote a an expose about Emily and Emily found out through the deal memo that came Wait, out. Tell me everything. Cause I don't even know what happens. I don't know. any. So Emily is the founder of Glossier. Did you ever yeah. watch the Hills? Yeah. Okay. Emily was the super intern on the Hills. Do you remember the one that was, and the peonies and we're going to put these in the middle and that brown, long brown hair, super intern is the founder of Glossier. And so it's a, it's a book detailing, how she rose the ranks and how she founded a $1.8 billion company. And is she, I think it was one point eight. people are like mad at Glossier, right? Like people are like boycotting. I think there's some controversy. I'm really curious about female founders like this. Mm. I love books like this. I loved girl boss. I loved, there was another one from a woman with create and cultivate. So I want to read this. Bye, Sad Girls. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and subscribe and follow our show. It's the way that we can get the word out about our Sad Girl podcast and more Sad Girls can find their community. And if you'd like to follow us on other platforms, we're on Instagram at Sad Girls Who Read and TikTok at Sad Girls Good Books. We love you, Sad Girls.